Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we're so excited this morning to have uh, Masashi uh, Niwano. Um, is, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Oh, yes. You got it perfectly. Oh, super. <laughs> and um, and he is the Festival and Ex- Exhibition Director at the Center for Asian American Media, otherwise known as CAM. Um, and he's here to tell us about um, CAM Fest 2021. Um, uh, Masashi uh, is a Bay Area native who holds a bachelor's degree in film production from San Francisco State University, and they have a phenomenal program there. Um, Masashi has been associated with CAM for over a decade, starting as an intern, then becoming involved in theater operations, and finally being chosen as a selected filmmaker, Falling Stars 2006. Prior Mm -hmm. to rejoining CAM as festival and exhibition director, Masashi was executive director for the Austin Asian American Film Festival. How long ago was that? Oh, that was, um, so I started as festival director at CAM 10 years ago. Uh, So, yes, Uh I was in Austin, um, well, around 2006 to 2010, around that time. I okay. Oh, so right after. Okay. <laughs> so right, right around the time your film debuted <laughs> at campus. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was a busy time. Uh, yeah, sounds fun. Um, you're an active filmmaker, so hopefully you'll tell us about something you're working on. Uh, you worked on numerous <laughs> films and music videos that are official selections at Outfest, Newfest, and South by Southwest. So welcome and tell us all about this. Really robust slate of programming for the festival, which is kicking off May 13th, continuing through the 23rd. And I think you have like a drive-in opening or something like that. Yeah. Sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, yeah, we have a lot going on this year. Um, so Campus is the nation's largest film festival that showcases and celebrates Asian-American stories. And, you know, for us, we do our best to um, broaden those walls and make sure our festival 
is as intersectional as possible. We know for Asian American communities, um, especially here in the Bay Area, that there's a lot of uh, kind of weaving with other communities as well. So we have other communities of color participate, the LGBTQ film, uh, um, communities also participating as well. So we do hope people come out to our website, campfest.com, to learn more. But as you just pointed out, yeah, we are starting our festival with three nights at Fort Mason Center um, here in San Francisco. Um, and if people haven't been to Fort Mason, it's lovely. It's right next to the ocean. You have a perfect view of Golden Gate Bridge and the fog. And we're presenting six films um, at Fort Mason um, starting on May 13th. We're very excited about it. Nice, nice. Um, so tell us about opening night and any other special programming. And, uh, yeah, just um, I'm always interested in films that have something to do with the African, African-American diaspora. Mm-hmm. So you can touch on those because um, you got a really cool one, American-ish. <laughs> that is oh, really, really yeah, nice. yeah, absolutely. Um, so opening night is Try Harder. It is a local film, and that is one of the themes of this year's festival as Many people here in the audience knows um, for communities of color and recently Asian American communities, there's a lot of there's a lot of tension, right? There's a lot of um, hate crimes happening, and we wanted a festival that could be inspirational, that can hopefully help um, and bring communities together. So, Try Harder is a local filmmaker. We want to present local stories at the drive-ins this year. We actually have three films that celebrate. San Francisco, Daly City, and the East Bay. So check that out. Try Harder is a documentary about students at Lowell High School here in San Francisco. And, you know, this film uh, surprised me when I first saw it. I I was curious how I would connect with high school students, but there are so many parallels to being an adult. Uh, They, um, you know, Lowell High School is a very unique school, um, very kind of – there's a lot of stress being a student there, um, and the film chronicles their experiences applying for the top colleges in the U.S., uh, and you see the mental strain on them. You see the anxiety. You see all the things that they work on, but the film, what the film does so wonderfully is it also shows the charm that these kids have, the determination, the bravery, the courage, um, and you learn about just you put yourself in their shoes. Um, a majority of the students that are chronicled are Asian Americans, similar to the demographics of Lowell High School, but there's also a mixed race subject as well who's half African American, half Asian American as well, and learns more about how race can also play into the role of being a student and also um, applying for colleges. Um, so that is our opening night. Um, we're excited. We're almost sold out, so we recommend people go to our website, buy those tickets. We have two screenings of that at the drive-in. I should also mention, you know, these drive-in experiences, they're so much fun. Um, the screening themselves are going to be great. Um, we have dance movies. We have comedies. Um, we have great documentaries. Um, but we also have food trucks that will be at Fort Mason. So come hungry. Um, we have a lot of great food. Um, I definitely um, have films that I could talk about that talk about kind of African-American diaspora or anything like that. You mentioned American-ish. Before I talk about that film, um, two that come up. Um, First off, um, this year we have started a new – Before you – 
sure. before you um, continue on, I just wanted to, um, and I, I definitely need to uh, see um, try harder because um, I grew mm-hmm. up up the street from Lowell High School in San Francisco, oh. and and that that is that is the school like it's like Harvard, <laughs> you know, um, for public schools, and and there's there was sort of like if you could get into Lowell, that was like you know you. You were kind of like guaranteed because the scholarship there was at such a high level, and and still yeah. is. My niece graduated um, from from Lowell, and and we we went to oh, her her graduation. It was so cool because what was her? It was at it was at a Bill Graham Auditorium, and I'm like, wow! I was so impressed. It was so neat, and um, <laughs> and and my niece is African American and Indonesian. Um, and and so so anyway, so I've got in my family, um, you know, Asian and African American members of my family, and my um, my nephew is there now. He is a sophomore, I think. Yeah. So so that 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 has like a personal impact on me. This particular film and its location. Oh, that's yeah, that's so wonderful. Yeah, and you know, as you just mentioned, I think. Um, especially here in the Bay Area, as I mentioned before, you do see this intersectionality, right? You see these connections. You know, for us, um, we don't want a festival that only has Asian Americans in the audience. If you look at our demographics, we're about 50% Asian American audiences, and then the other 50% are other communities of color um, or people interested in just the Asian American experience and stories that might connect with them. So, yes, um, we love to present films that talk about that diversity um, of the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. So you can continue now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so a few things that I wanted to highlight. So um, we this year, so if um, people want to participate in campus, we did our best to make it as uh, convenient as possible. So there's three different ways to watch films at our fest. We can, you can go to the drive-ins, as I mentioned, food trucks, it's going to be fun. Um, there's also live virtual events on our website, camfest.com. Um, so similar to a film festival, we all come together, we watch a film together, we talk to filmmakers collectively, or we have over 100 films on our website that are on demand kind of like a Netflix with all <laughs> Asian-American content. But um, basically, between the dates of our festival, May 13th to the 23rd, uh, people can purchase a ticket and watch it at their own time. So we know our audiences, so many people are busy right now or have weird work hours because of the pandemic. So we wanted to make it as convenient for people to watch these really amazing films. Um, I also want to mention that uh, we wanted, um, as I mentioned, with healing communities and um, having films that we hope to inspire people, we have over a dozen free programs at this festival. So, um, you know, we hope that, um, you know, money is not an issue. We hope you come to our festival. Check out our free films. We have free conversations and films. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really special. So uh, a few things I wanted to mention as far as what you said earlier. First off, this year, we started a new initiative called the Hindsight Initiative. It's with our partners, Firelight Media and Real South. And basically, what Hindsight is, is for us to fund, produce, uh, help produce um, documentaries um, from the American South um, that support um, BIPOC 
filmmakers. So not only Asian American filmmakers, but uh, communities of color. So this is a really great initiative. We have funded this year, I think, seven filmmakers, um, and they come from very different backgrounds. And at our festival this year, if you just typed hindsight in our website, you will see two of those films for free, um, and we'll have a Q&A with both filmmakers. But um, that is one that really uh, kind of presents uh, an initiative for us that, you know, um, looks at Asian Americans in a broader context. Um, I have others, but did you, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to mention before I continued on. I feel bad. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the selection is so awesome. Um, I mean, I yeah. think you said how many films there were, but it's like, yeah. wow, how long would it take to watch all these films? And then I'm just thinking, <laughs> if this is the selection, how many films did you have to watch to get to this official selection? Like, oh, my goodness, they're so phenomenal. <laughs> I'm looking right now. I'm yeah. sort of going down the list. The Race Epidemic, um, directed mm. by uh, Tony. How do you pronounce Tony's last name? Chu. Mm-hmm. Chu, yes. Shoe. And then mm-hmm. I was looking at um, Margaret Cho, um, a film featuring yeah. her, and then Amy Chan. I'm like, oh, that looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> keep on going. <laughs> okay, yeah. Talk well, a little bit about those to, and then, you know, others yeah, and I'll keep on looking. <laughs> of course. And you actually mentioned Americanish, which is our closing night film by American Muslim filmmaker uh, Iman Zawari. This is wonderful. This will be a world premiere, and it really is a celebration of South, uh, South Asian American women, um, Muslim women. Um, it's three generations of women in this really touching comedy, kind of a romantic comedy. It's our closing night film. For us, we really wanted to end our festival on a high note with something that's optimistic, that is celebratory. Um, Iman's film, it's just fabulous. So we hope people will check it out on our website. Right after that, we have a dance party, a virtual dance party on our website, mm, um, and that is nice. free. And we have a local um, uh, musician H.P. Mendoza, Filipino-American, who has created this new dance album. And so he's going to perform, uh, showcase some of his new music videos, but also dance live. Um, we're hoping, again, it's a real um, fun way to kick off our, uh, to end off our festival. Um, you also mentioned the race epidemic. Yes, I mean, I think when you look at communities of color, um, hate crimes is not something new. Uh, with the uptick of Asian American hate crimes, um, this is a powerful documentary. This is, for me, the most comprehensive documentary that has been made about mm-hmm. the recent incidents of hate crimes um, and the mm-hmm. history of how we got to this point. So um, what Tony does really well is talk about the ways Asian Americans have been represented in media um, and and historically all the laws against Asian Americans. And I don't think you have to be Asian American to fully understand or to appreciate this film. There's also connections to the African American community and other communities of color. So this is a world premiere for that documentary as well. Um, We had the privilege of, um, during the Q&A, to talk to our new Attorney General about this as well, of California, and uh, Rob Banta, and he was able to kind of talk through what we are doing kind of um, uh, politically to see how ways we can kind of help the Asian American communities during these hard times. Um, And then you mentioned Margaret Cho. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. I've been a fan of Margaret Cho's for a long time now, and she is, um, she just produced 
and is starring in a new horror film called Koreatown Ghost Story. I love it. It's a horror <laughs> short. Um, as if you know Margaret Cho, you know she can mix comedy and horror very well. And um, we're uh, world premiering this short film. It's part of our horror shorts program. As I mentioned, we have 100 films, and we have so many different types of films. For me, you know, um, when I go to a film festival, I want choices. And so we hope that 100 <laughs> films isn't overwhelming, that it gives people an opportunity. And you can go to our website. You can um, search under comedy, horror, documentaries, um, uh, family-friendly, and you can find very different things. But uh, with Margaret, this film is available on demand on our website, so you can watch it at any point. But we're also going to have a free conversation with her on our website um, on May 16th. So all you have to do is uh, RSVP, and then you will have access. This one is our one of our most RSVP'd events so far. We're excited. We're going to have a large audience. And again, we just hope we're going to sit down with Margaret, talk about her career, and then you all will have a chance to see her new film for free. Nice, nice. Um, so tell us about um, some of your, um, I think they're called, um, let's see, was it first person? Um, where you had these documentaries, because I, I noticed um, Amy Chan in that section, as well as uh, Jeff Adachi. Um, could you tell us about uh, those? Yes. So Amy Tan, um, there's a documentary that came out about Amy Tan. I am similarly am a big fan of her. Um, her book, Joy Luck Club, is one of the one of the most defining books of my life. Um, so there is a documentary made about her. We actually screened, uh, had a special screening of her film over the weekend. We had about 500 people participate. It was really great. Um, Amy mm. participated as well. The film Not is too. now nationally broadcast on PBS. So if you are interested in that documentary, you can go to our website to learn more on how to watch it, uh, but you can also go to PBS and probably find a way to watch it yourself. But, yeah, it's a really great documentary. You learn so much about Amy Tan. You know, I was so fascinated to learn so many of the stories in, let's say, Joy Luck Club is based on her own life, and that is, what, 12 dynamic characters? It's really all Amy Tan and the kind of, fascinating life that she has lived so far. Um, and then also you mentioned um, Jeff Adachi. So Jeff Adachi, our uh, public defender who sadly passed away recently, um, he is also a filmmaker, and we have been supporting his films. We have screened his films at our festival. All of his films are socially minded, um, you know, films that um, showcase underrepresented communities, giving them a voice. This film that... Um, he fin uh, that he finished is uh, Ricochet, and he is working with co-director Chihiro Wimbush. Um, and Chihiro, after Jeff's sad, um, sad passing, finished the film um, in Jeff's legacy. He wanted his film to go out into the world. This, as well, is the free film screening on our website. It's a world premiere, um, and it talks about the Kate Steinle incident that happened a few years ago that is the undocumented person who shot Kate Steinle uh, on the pier. And um, for people who remember, it was quite controversial. Um, in the film, you see Trump, other Republicans, using this as kind of a cultural point uh, to get Republicans angry about undocumented people, um, about kind of, um, 
I don't know, sanctuary cities, so many different topics. Um, and so what this film does really well is it interviews a lot of the people who are involved um, in the cases um, and kind of shows you what the case was about, but then also how um, the, the right was able to harness this story and use it against undoc undocumented communities. Um, yeah, it, it's really touching. Again, this screening is really in honor of Jeff Adachi, his legacy here in San Francisco. Um, and it will be free. It will be, um, it will be a really nice program. So we hope people in, uh, will participate. Okay, super. Um, <clears throat> when is that again? Ooh, please give me, you know, I was, <laughs> I just was in my head saying, wow, I am so good. I remember all of this by heart. And then I forgot the actual date of this one. It is on May 22nd. Um, so, yes, in the afternoon, that is a Saturday, um, uh, we'll all come together. And we are hoping a lot of the subjects we have um, asked out for people in the public defender's office in San Francisco to participate um, in this uh, Q&A for this program. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more um, about about films that celebrate mothers. And um, and also I wanted to mention that um, your timing of, of um, uh, I'm trying to think, um, American-ish, mm -hmm. I mean, to have it, uh, you know, in during the time of, of Ramadan, you know, sort of like it mm. could be like an Eid celebration work, you know, film, and then the party is just like perfect, <laughs> the way you yeah. have it um, programmed. Was that on purpose? Um, I don't know if that was on purpose, particularly, you know, in May there's a lot of different things. There's also, in the past, we've had Mother's Day part, as part of our festival. We do mm -hmm. want to make sure, yeah, that we um, – it's interesting. Um, uh, our festival ends a few days before um, the sad passing of George Floyd uh, last year, mm -hmm. and so we were thinking about these different – um, milestones and ways we can honor them by having particular programs. So, yes, yeah, we definitely think of the calendar and connecting things um, to our programming. Um, you mentioned mothers, and that, that's so wonderful. I, we do have a good amount of films. I'm trying to think of which ones are the most connected, but American Ish is one, as I mentioned, it's different generations, and it is mothers, it's daughters. I think if you're looking for a story about the kind of mother-daughter connection. American Issue is going to be fabulous for that. Um, one that is kind of really stuck out in my head is um, a film that is on our on-demand platform. It's called Wuhan Wuhan um, and is about the pandemic. It's about going to Wuhan, China, um, March of last year. And, you know, you have, you have here in America um, – uh, people in media, in politics, you know, of course, blaming China for the pandemic and uh, painting China, Wuhan as uh, enemies of us and the reason why we're all in this situation. And what Wuhan, Wuhan does so wonderfully is it gets on, it's on the ground. It talks to the doctors there, you know, similarly to what was happening here, it was, happening in Wuhan, China, um, and it sits down with the um, doctors, with the, the, sub, um, the patients who are there, and there's one story of a mother and a son who are basically in an outdoor tent, both with, um, with a corona, um, 
kind of living through it. And you see her struggles as a mother, making sure her son is okay. But this is, again, at the beginning of the pandemic. So there was not knowing what is happening. And you see these huge outdoor tent situations for all of these patients. Um, at one point, there are this, this team of therapists who come in to help the doctors, to help the patients, and they ask, you are, if you need any mental help, please raise your hand. Every patient and every doctor rose their hand because it was such a stressful situation. And I, I, there's so much to love about this film. Um, again, it's eye-opening. If people want to learn more about how the pandemic has impacted not only the U.S., but other countries, I would highly recommend people check this film out. But to me, the story of the mother trying to protect her son, not knowing what's happening, trying to be the best mother in a very frustrating situation, seeing other patients um, kind of jumping the line, let's say, in front of them because they're, um, you know, because their situations are more severe. Um, I don't know. It's something that still, for me, kind of um, is in my mind. Um, but, yes, uh, I definitely think throughout the festival um, there are so many stories. Our um, One of our centerpiece films, Snakehead, which is a – wonderful film by Evan Jackson Leung. It's about Chinatown in New York, kind of the beginning stages um, um, kind of centuries ago, um, or at least like 200 years ago. And it chronicles this main subject, Snakehead, who is kind of part of this the kind of crime world, but it shows her determination. She is such a strong female lead, and um, she becomes, you know, she is able to mentor women. Um, she has very much, she has a mother figure in her life. And this is an interesting film where it looks like a gritty kind of historical piece about kind of uh, crime in Chinatown, but is really a celebration of the women in Chinatown who were able to kind of pave the way uh, to where Chinatowns are now. Um, much more diverse and much different. But, yeah, um, that one is also one that stands out. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, we have four minutes. Let's see. Okay, I mm. was thinking about healing um, that uh, selection, yes. um, heart with with art um, yes. bracketed, so heartbeats. Um, talk yes. to us about that, art for healing, and then within that same same theme, legacy and lineage, I saw Jenny Lim's mm. name in there. And mm -hmm. and then um, because we are girls, um, looking at the sexual uh -huh. exploitation of girls, uh, and and I think, yeah, yeah and yeah. if you have any more time, other highlights. <laughs> I'm thinking about some of the shorts. Or maybe <laughs> okay, you might want to just like, quick, this will be good for a whole family. Like, you want to take your kids to the oh. movie, this is the one. <laughs> oh, okay, yes. I will, off the top of my head, I will go quickly on those. Before we are, uh, before we are girls is, yes, it's a, a story about an Indian-Canadian family, and it's about these daughters who had um, some terrible things happen to them as uh, children, and them holding that, um, those incidents in, and the, the, it shows the, the turmoil it's had on their lives. And it, they are so brave, these subjects, they come out, they talk to the camera about what happened, and they want justice for what happened. So that is a powerful, strong, female-forward film, again, with daughters and mothers in that as well. Um, other films that you just mentioned was Heartbeats. We know through the pandemic that film 
music, art has gotten us through the pandemic, right? Uh, especially being home um, and home alone at times. So um, this uh, Heartbeat is a celebration of art and artists, um, how art can influence ourselves and, and, and inspire ourselves. So we definitely recommend people check out that shorts program, Legacy and Lineage. This is a shorts program that is commissioned by the API Cultural Center here in San Francisco, and it's a spotlight on local artists, um, musicians, spoken word, dance. Um, and so, yeah, we, it is a free program. We recommend people watch this as well. Um, if you are interested in, and you miss art here in San Francisco and in the Bay Area because of the pandemic, this will give you a nice snapshot of different generations of artists here. Um, oh, I feel like I am missing one of them that you just mentioned. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, for family friendly. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. One thing I will mention. So, if you are going to the drive-ins, <laughs> try harder. As I mentioned, is the is the film about Lowell High School. That is. Um, you know, I think that is a perfect film for families because if you're younger, I think you're going to res this film will resonate with you as someone who's going through school. And I think for parents, seeing how the students go through Lowell High School, I think that is really powerful. And again, with the food truck, it's a really nice time. Um, we have a food program as part of our festivals. You know, who doesn't love watching food on screen? It's called um, <laughs> At the Dinner Table. These are all family-friendly films, and it talks about food and from how to make food to how food can connect people. Um, we, uh, that's also on demand. So definitely that one, if you are interested and want to bring your kids in, uh, check that out. Cool, super, super, great. Um, maybe you can give um, the information again about, you know, sort of the website and, you know, questions yeah. and also how to get tickets. Thank you so much again for having me on your show. Yes, CAMFEST, that's C-A-A-M-F-E-S-T dot com. That's our website. You can get everything there from purchasing tickets for all the free programs. Um, you just go to our tab, Film and Events, on the top of our website, and it will have a link to all of our free programs. And all you have to do is RSVP. You'll get a link to watch the program the day of the event. Um, and uh, yeah, on social media. We're on all the social medias from uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search CamFest. You'll find them all there. Um, and again, so yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. This has been wonderful. Um, we hope people, this is APA Heritage Month, May. So we hope people will take a little bit time out of their busy schedules to um, check out some really fabulous Asian American films and programs. Mm. Yeah, congratulations on the wonderful lineup. And which which Cam Fest is this for the organization? This is our 39th festival. So I'm oh. really thrilled. Next year would be our 40th anniversary. I hope we'll be back in person fully, um, and uh, we'll all be able to celebrate next year our 40th anniversary. Wow, 39th! My goodness, 39. How wonderful. <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, later on in the program, I'm, I'm sure you already know that um, the directors, uh, writer, producers of uh, Americanish, um, uh, Iman oh, uh, Zawari and uh, Aziza Fatima, are going to be on the show. They're going to close it out. So we're we're, we're bookending uh, Wanda's picks today with um, Cam Fest 2021. So pretty cool. Awesome. 
Super. Well, thank Will you, you take so much. care? Oh, you're welcome. It's really lovely having you on. Looking forward to talking to you again, and perhaps it'll be about one of your films, you know, that you're working on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, you take good care. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Um, so we are going to shift right into um, a rebroadcast of Br'er Peach, uh, just an excerpt, with um, writer uh, Andrew Saito. Br'er Peach, you know, is up at Alter Theater, and Alter Theater is having a fundraiser that ends on Mother's Day, yes. So you go to the website and you give whatever you have, and then you have access to these three episodes of this phenomenal folktale that takes its, um, takes its um, uh, I guess, influence from, from both the African-American folk tradition as well as uh, the uh, Chinese folk tradition mash up together. So anyway, we uh I've been really, really enjoying um listening to um the episodes for Br Peach and so you don't want to miss it. So I'm gonna give you another teaser. And this is also the big campaign for bringing um black mamas home, bailing out black mamas. So if you are interested in um sort of sending some money that way. Um trying to think where can I don't think I have it here up. <laughs> but um if you just put in a search engine, um, Bell Out Black Mamas or S C Justice in the Bay Area because they are our local link and also in Southern California. As well as a new way of life, they're all a part of this big national push around it's always the week of Mother's Day to bail out black women who are mothers who are incarcerated. So, anyway, it's happening this week, so I want to give you a heads up on that. So here is uh, an excerpt of an interview with Andrew Saito and members of the cast for this radio story, this radio broadcast, this radio drama, Br'er Peach. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And we are so excited to be speaking to um, to Andrew Saito about his new play, uh, Br'er Peach, which is opening at Alter Theater uh, next week. And on the air is uh, Michael uh, Jean Sullivan, one of our favorite, uh, really favorite guests. Both of them are. Um, they've been on multiple times. And, and we're going to be joined in a few minutes, I presume, by another member of the cast of this great play, which is like... Oh, my goodness, what an exercise in collaborative work. Um, Andrew, wow, Um, you know, all of these different key players involved in being able to bring this work to life, which you rewrote, um, you know, for an audio uh, presentation. I bet that was a lot of work. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you, Wanda. I will say that in a way I feel like I wrote it for the audio presentation because when – the radio opportunity came about last year. Um, the play was in a much earlier stage. And so one of the great um, things has been, you know, the audio production gave me great incentive to, dare I say, it was already finished, but 
it was a pale version of what it currently is. And so the collaboration of Michael and Reza, who will join us, and particularly I want to shout out um, Ivan Kadiviria, our Associate Director of Partner, Parsnipship, the producing mm-hmm. partner with yeah. Alter Theater. Ivan served as dramaturg along with um, um, uh, another often dramaturg in the early stages named SB. Um, I will get you SB's full name right now. Um, um, but, but, but their dramaturgy of Ivan and SB was really, really um, crucial. SB Proctor. They, they're both in New York. So this is also a, both a bi-coastal nationwide, because <laughs> we have an actor, Crystal Lucas Perry, in, in Detroit. And I'm in Mexico. I'm in Mexico for months now. And You're in Mexico? Like oh, a, wow. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, but, but the collaborative aspect has been totally, totally, totally fundamental and central to us to the plague reaching its current form. Wow, yeah. Yeah, Risa, um, Risa, uh, Risa, Risa, how do you pronounce your name? It's Ressa. Ressa, okay. And how do you mm-hmm. pronounce your last name, Ressa? Machina. Machina, yeah. And you are the kid. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Correct. With the, with, the, with the magic peach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the magic peach. <laughs> Uh, I can hardly wait to hear you all bring this work to life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Um, Michael, you play so many different roles as uh, an incarnate spirit. Um, You know, you're having a lot more fun in in the new uh, way you can choose different bodies as opposed to the old body (laughs) that was tired of being a mailman. (laughs) Yeah, it it was interesting. I mean, there was one part when we went back – Last weekend we were, you know, re-recording some lines, trying to get everything just right before it's going to actually get all put together. And mm-hmm. and I was being asked to go back. I was like, well, can we get this one line from you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Can I go back and do that one line? And then I was like, well, why don't we do the lines going into it and the lines coming out of it? And I was like, all right. And then I realized actually those were all my lines. I had the line recorded <laughs> of one character. You know, as like Br'er Cicada, and then I had to do the catfish line. Then I had to come back as somebody else, and I was like, oh, God. It's fun doing it, but, you know, it's getting a chance to really – you can stretch in a lot of ways doing radio in a way that, that it's difficult to do or impossible to do mm-hmm. on stage. But it'll drive you a little crazy. Mm, right. Not that it was <laughs> a long so trip funny. for me, but – yeah, yeah. Um, I I really want to hear catfish. Uh, catfish sounds pretty pretty phenomenal. But then possum does too, playing dead all the time. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I, I had to play. I didn't get to play possum. You know, we had we, we had the uh, uh, actor in uh, New York. Uh, oh, what's his name? Kevis, who uh, played who played possum. But I had to play. I played possum when he was uh, um, uh, possessed. By the dead spirit right. of Waylon. Right. So I had to keep mm-hmm. popping. It, it was like I said, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, Andrew did a great job of writing all of these very, very varied characters for us in this adventure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. thank you, Michael. Coming from you, a fellow very, very accomplished playwright, that is high praise indeed. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe for our audience that doesn't know what we're talking about, maybe we should start with what is this play about Andrew and then and then um I'll read your bios. <laughs> Great. Um so this play is Rare Peach 
is adaptation of somebody the Japanese. Oh, sorry, that was me. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's the adaptation of the Japanese fable of Peach Boy, uh, or in Japanese, Momotaro. And um, Grace, I feel free to jump in and fill in. Uh, okay. Because you're probably more familiar. But I, this is growing up, so I'm half Japanese, Japanese American on my father's side. Yonsei, I'm Yonsei, which means fourth generation. So my my um, Japanese half of the family came from, over to the California from Japan in the early, in between the 1890s and the early 1900s, right, just at the turn mm-hmm. of the century. And um, but I, w- I grew up uh, not with tons of Japanese culture, but with this one book of Japanese called Japanese Children's Favorite Stories. And the, I had like a dozen or 15 illustrated stories. But the one that was my perpetual favorite was Peach Boy. And it was staple of me growing up. And Raisa, can you brief, would you be open to briefly summarizing Momotaro, the legend? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Peach Boy or Momotaro is a very, very famous, Japanese fable, kind of like Little Red Riding Hood or something, like everyone grows up reading it or hearing it or seeing it in some way or form. Um, Yeah, so it's about a story. Um, It starts with two elderly couple um, and they're, you know, they don't have a child. um, And one day the, the... the husband goes to the mountains to, you know, harvest things. And then while the wife goes down to the river to wash some clothes, and then a giant peach just flows down on the river to her surprise. She grabs it. She takes it home with her husband, and they're both like, what is this? I guess we'll eat it. It's it's a big peach. Um, And when they slice it open, a baby boy basically comes out or jumps out from the peach pit and um, they decide to raise uh, the boy as their own. Uh, The boy quickly grows up and then one day decides that he wants to go, um, what's the correct word? Go go fight some oni. Onis are Japanese um, giants, I guess. And they're usually like the, you know, bad, evil beasts. Um, But on his way to, oh, yeah, and on his way um, on the journey, he recruits a dog, uh, a bird, and a monkey, and they all go to this (laughs) one island that has these uh, big giants and then they fight them and then they win and the giants give them a lot of jewelry and money um, um, because they're defeated and then then Momotaro, the peach boy, gets to bring all the fortune back to his parents. And that's how the story ends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you really updated um, Andrew with a version of <clears throat> of of shopping online. <laughs> yes. Only 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 well, but, it's um, only it's a program, and I've heard it. They call it. I know I've heard friends say, "Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that." I don't know what that means. I mean, because I don't have Alexa. But wow, um, technology it, it really uh, is personified in the work, and and I'm just just wondering. 
as as audience. Whoa. Doesn't Vonda see what's going on and Vonda is uh, <laughs> is uh Waylon's uh wife, um, Michael's wife. And um yeah. Yeah, that's really crazy. Maybe well, we, you could talk a little bit about that. Let, yes, I will address the technology, but let me take a little detour to go into the uh, a very significant update of this play, which is so the play takes place in Gwinnett County, Georgia, which is maybe 30 or 40 minutes outside of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I have been going to Georgia to visit family of mine for since I was in sixth grade, if not earlier. I think I was like 11 or 12, my, the first time I went to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so my... So I talk about my dad's side of the family from Japan. My mom's side of the family traces its roots to Ireland and Austria. Came to the U.S. around a similar time, late 1800s, early 1900s. My mom was the oldest of seven, seven white American siblings. Both she and pretty much all of her six siblings married people of color. Um, you know, some of her siblings married have have black spouses. Some of her siblings have have. Latino spouses, and so I was very. I became very close with um, years ago with a um, with my black uncle who's from Southern Georgia, who now lives in this in Gwinnett County. And so I've it's been like a second home for a long time. And and so there I, I would go and visit many times. And there I was, this half Japanese kid from California, living with my black uncle and. My white, my white aunt, who is one of my mom's younger sisters. And so um, Georgia has, in addition, you know, I'm from California, Georgia has been a very sort of defining place during my, really my adolescence, right, my late childhood and adolescence. And um, I've lived there a couple of times. And so, um, and so it was in San Francisco years, like 2008, summer of 2008, right before I went to um, for grad school and playwriting at the University of Iowa, I was doing a Bikram yoga class near Haight-Ashbury, and um, and I had this. It was a hot yoga. They heat, the, they heat the room really hot, and you could do yoga. And I uh, had this sudden vision during Shavasana or corpse pose in the hot, hot kind of stinky room, sweaty room. Of writing a play that was that set the Peach Boy Momotaro Peach Boy the Japanese folktale of the boy born from the peach in Georgia the Peach State, and oh, um, nice. and so that's why because it has this peach connection and also I have a lot yes. of history in Georgia and I have this beloved black uncle and then all of his sisters and I've been down to Tifton Georgia and the Southern Georgia many times and basically often being. Um, or always being the only Asian person there, but often, you know, the times when my aunt didn't come, being the only non-black person present, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 those being extraordinarily special moments, and you know, in like in my twenties in particular, going down there for like Thanksgiving or my uncle's mother's, you know, birthdays. And she's since passed away, but um, you know, and so the play is the the vision was that it was going to be a a fusion of of Japanese and Southern Black cultures and folklores, and also, um, um, you know, also highlighting my love for Georgia. And this kind of fell out of the, the vision, but but Georgia and Atlanta in particular is a very multicultural, international city, 
And so I also wanted to highlight Georgia's diversity. Again, that kind of fell by the wayside. But then the Amazon thing entered because this, I was spent a couple months in Georgia last this past fall. And one thing is I drove I, a couple of times I drove by what once was this big expanse of forest, and um, there was oh. a lot of clear cutting going on to build an Amazon fulfillment center. So that's how the Amazon mm-hmm. aspect and Alexa and the technology oh. entered the play. Oh, wow. And, and it's so apropos that the play will be opening right now because of the the union um, unionizing of, of the Amazon employees because of how horrifically they're being treated by the um, – the well, the uh, yeah, the company uh, administrators around around breaks and and even you know payment, particularly when people get sick. Uh, so it's so it's like perfect timing that this will be happening, mm. and I, I hope they are able to to be able to formalize that union because it'll be the first union in the company, uh, you know, in Alabama, uh, excuse me, not not Georgia, but it's still in the South. Not far. <laughs> I mean, Alabama's not far from Georgia. So so it's just really, you know, sort of lifts that particular um, activity um, or action, you know, sort of, in, I guess, what do you call it, reinforces it, which is in a good way. Mm. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Oh, wow, wow. So many wonderful um uh, connections and I'm like, wow, your your bio pales in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm gonna read it and then we could talk more. Uh and, and uh Michael, um you are a veteran around radio um uh drama 'cause you've you've done it before. <laughs> and so Yeah, anyway, well kinda of like it so many of us have all all of a sudden. <laughs> in the last yeah. year, it was like people people that had never done a radio pay, play before were suddenly like veterans of radio plays because we've done you know dozens of them now in the last twelve months. <laughs> right. So Andrew uh, Saito began developing um, Bear Peach in Alter Theaters 2016-2017 Alter Lab Playwright Residency Program, a year-long residency program. AlterLab supports um, three to five writers in each cohort and has included MacArthur Genius Award winner uh, Larissa Fasthorse, um, I guess Rella or Rila Lossie uh, Award winner Diana, um, Diana with Diana, <clears throat> make sure I get that done. Oh, Diana um, uh, Burbano. Uh, USA Penn Literary Award winner in drama, um, Michelle Carter, and Relentless Award semifinalist, Star Finch. Uh, where's your bio? Oh, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> um, Andrew is an internationalist playwright who focuses on indigenous and cross-racial stories, which we are definitely um, know about because of the way you introduced how you came to write this particular one, Andrew, about the Peach Boy, <laughs> your version of that great story. Um, hybridity uh, is another one of your, your focuses and struggles against colonialism and its long lingering footprints. You have worked... <clears throat> 
with uh, Peru's uh, legendary theater collective, Grupo Cultural. Uh, Yuyakani. Cuba's Canuto Cultural Corrie uh, Macao. And the association, an association. How do you pronounce it? Uh, let me let me pronounce it. Association. Um, um, Shahotun. That's how you pronounce it. There's a lot of Yeah, yeah. I know. I don't know how to do them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Rabanal Guatemala, culture bearers of the Rabanal Achi or Ache, <clears throat> named intangible cultural patron. Uh, Patrimony of Humanity by UNESCO. You hold the MFA from the Iowa uh, Playwrights Workshop, which you already mentioned, and you were a Fulbright Scholar in Papua New Guinea. From 2013 to 2016, you were Andrew W. Mellon Resident Playwright at Cutting Ball Theater, which I think is where I met you formally, and we had one of our first conversations, and we've had, it was like a lot of years ago, uh, <laughs> which produced your play Crispy Critters in the Scarlet Night, Mount Misery, um, and your translation of uh, Calderon de la Barca's Life is a Dream, and I'm just like killing all of this. And you're, you know, you're like a polyglot. You speak all kinds of languages, right? I mean, you love language. I, I speak four. I speak four languages. It feels like not enough, but yeah, I speak four. Although Japanese is not one of them. Yeah. Oh, not yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. That's right. Not yet. <laughs> so obviously you speak Spanish. What else? What other languages besides Spanish and English? Portuguese and a language called Tok Pisin, which is a pidgin English spoken in Papua New Guinea. Mm, nice, nice, nice. Uh, Fault Line Theater produced. Uh, Stegosaurus or Three Cheers for Climate Change. <laughs> Your play, Men of Rabanal, uh, co-created with uh, Lacan Valdez, was commissioned and presented at La Pena Cultural Center and El Teatro Campesino <clears throat> here in the Bay Area. You have developed work with Victory Gardens, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Crowded Fire, East-West Players, the Playwright Center of Minneapolis, Mood Performing Arts, Brava Theater, Playwrights Foundation, Jess Theater, and, of course, Alter Theater. Um, and we are going to skip the languages part because we already talked about that, but you're really passionate about cultural exchange, cooking, kung fu, which we see show up um, in other martial arts forms in your character, Waylon, and underwater encounters with octopuses and manta rays. Um, you are learning to be a climate activist, and you encourage all of us to do the same. So, again, um, <laughs> welcome, Andrew. And and while I'm reading bios, we might as well just keep on going. So I'm going to read Michael's and then read um, Raisa's. So Michael Jean uh, Sullivan's acting directing credits include work with the American Conservatory Theater, the Denver Center Theater Company, Berkeley Repertory Theater, Theater Works, Theater Works, California Shakespeare Theater, SF Playhouse, San Francisco, uh, and the African American Shakespeare Companies. Uh, Theater First, Central Works, uh, Circus, Vanelli, The Aurora, The Marin, The Magic, <laughs> and Lorraine Hansberry Theaters. And he has toured nationally and internationally. Michael is also a collective member, actor, director, resident playwright. 
with the Tony and Obie award-winning San Francisco Mime True. Yes, folks, that's him. Um, resident playwriting alumni of the Playwrights Foundation, and his plays have been performed in over a dozen countries in four languages. So, again, welcome, Michael. Yes. Hey. <laughs> and Raisa, well, hope to have you on again. This is the first time I'll be speaking to you. And you are an actor, dancer, and singer based in New York City and a proud native of Yokohama, Japan. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, Yokohama. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I've been practicing since yesterday. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> um, your favorite theater credits include uh, Rookie... Um, uh, Min, Minami, Minami. Mm-hmm. in the U.S. premiere of White Pearl at the Studio Theater, Connie in A Chorus Line at the Wick Theater, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, Annie, Joseph, and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, 9 to 5, The Music Man at Flat Rock Playhouse, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I love that play, oh my goodness, Slow Burn Theater Company. Yeah, Theater Rhinoceros mounted it twice here in the Bay Area, San Francisco. <laughs> and Miss Saigon, uh, Interlakes Summer Theater. I like that one, too, as an opera. Uh, did you do it as an opera? No, as a musical. Okay, yeah, it's a nice story. Um, Raisa has a BFA in musical theater from Ryder University. Um, so welcome, Raisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So let's talk about this play. Oh, my goodness. So, Raisa, since you're the last person whose name I mentioned, why don't you talk about your your, your peach boy, um, Momo? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Momo is such a fun character. He's, I, I guess he's around five years old for the most part of the play. Um <laughs> I think his age and timeline changed throughout the draft, but uh, yeah, he you know he starts off as this bright-eyed, like very naive boy um, with a you know a deep love for his mom, Vonda, and then mm-hmm. he goes on an adventure to chase after the peach for his mom, and throughout that journey, he learns. A lot of life lessons and um, comes back as uh, a, a more matured and wiser, a little bit older boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's um. Yeah, he's he's really he's really sweet. Um, you know how how mm-hmm. quickly he bonds with his mom and. Yeah, you you have a, like a lot a range of emotions, particularly when when you meet your dad for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 you know, sort of going with the flow in his different iterations because he keeps on showing up in these different forms. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. How do how do you all do that? Um, you know, in uh, in 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 a radio like in. Yeah, an audio setting. How do you, how do you, like, are there sound effects? I mean, how do you all, how do you sort of, I guess, help us visualize um, these encounters, which are 
<laughs> well, that was, uh, as I mentioned, just a little teaser of a rebroadcast of this wonderful interview with uh, Andrew Saito and uh, other members of the cast for Brer Peach at Alter Theater. And again, the fundraiser goes through Sunday, May 9th, and any donation and you will get all three episodes, so you don't want to miss this. It's a really, really wonderful, wonderful program. However, our next guest is in the studio, Miss um, uh, Sheila Malkine, founder and executive director of Legacy Film Festival. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm fine, and congratulations on your 10th annual Legacy Film Festival on Aging, uh, May 24th through 31st. And, wow, I mean, I'm really happy to know about it, but, gosh, it's been 10 years, and I'm just learning about your festival. Well, (laughs) you know, uh, it's hard because um, we work so hard at it, but uh, one of the problems is, uh, that people don't want to see films on aging or don't want to talk about aging very much. Uh, one of the stories I tell is that we had uh, asked a marketing director to join us maybe the first or second year because mm-hmm. we were a little disappointed in the number of people who came. And her suggestion was that we take the word aging off the festival and of course that was our reason for being so what we realized which we knew was that there is still a strong ageist idea out there and for various reasons probably partly because people uh, fear aging fear death fear life ending or happening with um, disability, we have to work a little harder. But we're still at it. And uh, Mm -hmm. actually, we're doing it virtually this year, which was a tremendous challenge, but it's working. So Mm -hmm. I hope you will uh, tune in to our page and look at some of the films and programs that we have Uh, And one thing that uh, is very interesting to me is we have one program which is called Buoyancy, that Mm -hmm. people bounce back. And uh, there's three films in there to watch. One of them is about uh, a young man who is found in a net in Sicily. Uh, He's dead. And um, it talks about how immigrants fare in the Mediterranean. And just today, my newspaper mm-hmm. talks about 100 immigrants who, were, who died at sea. So we try to be topical, but also mm-hmm. very much um, talking about aging issues. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed just reading descriptions of, of some of these films as well as watching a few. But your films, um, you know, the, again, the festival is May 24th through 31st, and you have 38 short, mid-length 
length and feature films from Australia to Sweden, hung, Hungary uh, to Cuba, and from across the United States. Wow. Um, how do you – well, let me – I'll, I'll introduce you after we fin- you finish answering this question. But how did you pull together this wonderful festival this year? And besides your buoyancy program, what other point? What other programs would you like to highlight and the films therein? Well, I'll, I'll answer the first. How do we pull it together? Um, I have a fantastic person, Arlene Reese, and she's a film curator. And she and uh, our board look for films, as I do, throughout the year. Then we, somehow they um, put themselves together a little bit, these films, so that we can see that there's a, a theme. So we would have a theme like caring its many dimensions. And I know you'll be talking more about that on Friday, but... There we, um, I think it's like 30% or more of the public are unpaid caregivers. People are living longer and they need more help, but also younger people uh, who have physical or mental disabilities are taken care of by families who really sacrifice a lot, sometimes working at a job to take care of their young ones or the older ones. So I think there's going to be some new legislation that people are going to try to see. Can these people get paid for the work that they're doing? We also have a program, Civil Rights, and um, this is really quite something. Um, One of the two films here. One is called No Time to Waste, The Urgent Mission of Betty Reed Soskin. Um, And here, the filmmaker um, celebrates the pathway of 99-year-old park ranger, black park ranger, who now um, has a role at, at the historical memorial park, Rosie the Riveter, in California. Mm-hmm. And I put that film together with one called The Giants Wore White Gloves because in, I happened to be in Arkansas uh, years ago mm-hmm. and picked up a DVD called The Giants. And what it's about is a group of middle class white women who fought Governor Faubus. You may remember that name in Arkansas in 1958 when uh, the law changed and uh, schools were ordered to integrate, he actually closed four of the high schools in um, Arkansas because uh, he, he refused to integrate. And these white women, uh, middle class, southern types, if there is a type, very genteel, um, they fought it and they won. And within a year, the schools, the high schools, the schools all were opened. So uh, it was uh, very impressive to read that. Um, 
I think you asked me something else, but I'm not <laughs> well, sure I remember. No, that that was great. You know, that I um, actually uh, previewed that film last night, and the Giants wore oh. white gloves. Yeah, yeah, that. Those women had amazing tenacity, um, you know, dressing up in their hats and their gloves and going to court <laughs> and yeah, uh, knowing more about what was being debated on the floor um, than the people who were allowed to speak. But but everyone got a chance to speak. And just the, the ongoing fight against the governor, I mean, he was really he was determined to keep those closed school clo- those schools closed if there was going to be integration. And and meanwhile, right. the parents like, what are they going to do with the children? Um, you know, how are they going to, you know, keep them from getting so far behind? Yeah, that was amazing. I was just wondering uh, if I heard, if I understood it correctly. So the segregated schools, um, the African-American schools, were able to continue being open, if, if I'm understanding what, what was going on correctly? Um. I would have to go back and look at the film. Um, mm-hmm. I believe so. But they uh, also showed, as we have all seen, this hatred. And uh, mm-hmm. when the black students, who were so courageous, were trying to enter the high schools, uh, it was mm-hmm. scary. I can't believe they did what they did. And... Um, but finally, they they won. We we have another program called Courage Against Hate, and um, mm-hmm. there are films. Uh, and there's a picture there of a Japanese person next to an order from the government that all persons of Japanese ancestry have to move and and. Uh, go away from their homes into a, fall, a different area. So we have, as we know, we've done a lot of stuff, a lot of bad stuff, and I just think what's happening today is fantastic, that people are going to the streets, that they're protesting. They're not afraid to do it, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a group. I think it helps. Um in that program called Courage Against Hate, uh, there's a little film, and what it's about is the League of Women Voters decided mm-hmm. that they wanted to prepare high school students to vote. I think the film was actually made last year when uh, we had a different president, and maybe that inspired the league to step in and educate high school students to prepare them for voting so that there can be a new generation of voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also have lots of fun films, I think. Um, I'm going to take a look at one of them, which is called um, Legacy Shorts. And... um, we have some very short films from Australia with subtitles because I myself find it difficult to understand Australian and sometimes English accents. But mm-hmm. here's a bunch of 
uh, films, and they're called Fearless Films. And it shows uh, how people find meaning in what still matters most to them. A swimmer who does, swims in the ocean, which I would never do in Australia, <laughs> sorry to say, <laughs> and a dancer, um, and men who um, have lasting friendships and um, other people who, like the world's oldest man, we had um, yeah. a very short film, actually four-minute film about mm-hmm. uh, Bob, who at 112 was the oldest man in the world. And it said he didn't know the secret to his longevity, but he did have a wealth of wisdom. He died in May 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was COVID, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. And speaking of COVID, we have a film which is quite interesting in a program called Reframing Disability. And Mm -hmm. it's an older film. Uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks, who's now, he's, he's died, but there are films about him still. But this one was a documentary. He went into a hospital to work with the um, patients, and he discovered that there were a bunch of patients who had contracted what was called sleepy sickness in the 20s. And here it was the 50s, and these patients were still there, but they were almost like living statues. And it was the most amazing looking thing. And he tried to use some Parkinson's medicines and get them moving again. And it worked for a while. And mm-hmm. you see them coming alive and and moving and walking around. Unfortunately, In most cases, it wasn't a long-term cure. But uh, we we had this program on disability, reframing disability. Um, I'll tell you, I had a stroke in 2020, and um, I'm still affected by it. I was in the hospital for maybe a month. And uh, my left side was affected. And so I have to use a walker. And um, I have a part-time caregiver. Uh, But Mm -hmm. um, also, luckily for me, my son lives downstairs. So um, he comes up and uh, his family is there. So I get some help. But think about the people who don't, the older Mm -hmm. people or, or people who are disabled uh, during COVID, that's got to be uh, loneliness and fear. But somehow we all, older people, I'm 83, I'll be 83, we survive and we go ahead and we just keep moving. Hmm. Right. Well, let me um, let me introduce you to our audience. Um, that was a great, great overview of, of the film fest, and we can come back to it. Um, 
So um, you are, um, uh, after you write, after 60 years in the field of aging, first in Chicago and now in San Francisco, uh, Sheila Malkine, now 82, uh, in her 83rd year, is passionate about presenting films on aging to the San Francisco community and the world. Uh, she sees her work as her passion based on her experiences working and socializing with older people. Sheila hopes to transform the images of adults that are currently represented in the media into more realistic and dynamic images of people with experience uh, who wish to learn new concepts and who have much to contribute to society through work, volunteerism, socializing, and just simple enjoyment in life. Um, and you mentioned that you had a stroke uh, last year, um, which left your left hand and leg and foot impaired. And um, you write that you become more aware of the challenges of people with disabilities. And and then you mentioned that you included this film. Um, I uh, I just wanted to mention to folks. You mentioned the film um, Awakenings. Uh, 43 Minutes, uh, produced by Duncan Dallas, uh, United States, um, 1974, uh, on um, Dr. Oliver Sacks, that there's another film um, entitled, um, it's on the American Masters at PBS, Oliver Sacks, His Own Life. And um, and that's another one, and you can watch it, um, you can watch it online at PBS for those who are interested in, in, in his amazing amazing life and work. Um and then um wondering if um if you might want to talk about some of the films uh with directors here in uh California or the Bay Area. Because I know you have this wonderful film Seniors Rocking. <laughs> um, oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um and that's another uh, film that um, was made several years ago. Anna Halpern was is a hundred years mm-hmm. old, living in oh, the uh, <laughs> yes, living in Mill Valley, and uh, she all her life was a dancer. And <clears throat> this film, Seniors Rocking. <clears throat> She was in uh, an area of California near where she lives and invited the seniors to come out. And between her and them, they put together a dance. Now, uh, some of these people were uh, had difficulty walking, using a walker, were helped by others. But they put together this very lovely dance outside. And what's interesting, at one point, while they were doing this group dance, a bunch of birds came out. And it was almost as if these birds were welcoming them. They flew overhead. uh, And it was entrancing to watch. And uh, they talked about what aging meant to them and felt really good that they were still able to move their bodies however they did it and um, be with other people. I think it's so important for older people to have uh, access to others, to go to senior centers, to have courts. Right now we're not doing 
much of that at all, but it'll come back. And uh, there's the other film that, again, the Civil Rights uh, Program with Carl mm-hmm. Vitterman, who interviewed Betty Soskin, the wow. 99-year-old, and just an impressive woman who stuck to her guns, not guns really, but uh, <laughs> went from a life uh, when she was young of segregation and now has a public role at uh, the Rosie the Riveter Historical Park and was honored by President Obama uh, for everything that she has done. Just a gutsy, intelligent, delightful person, and it's great for people to be able to see uh, this film about her life. Mm-hmm. So, are are you um, are you a filmmaker yourself? I'm not. Um, I'm just a person who has always been interested in older people uh, from mm-hmm. a young age and um, delighted with them. I belong to a couple of groups. One of them is called the Older Women's League. Owl, we call it, of San Francisco. (laughs) Now here, these are women who are in their 60s to 80s, and they are so active in uh, civil rights and other issues. They stand up for what they believe. They email our legislators, and uh, I find them an impressive group. And uh, there's another group called the Transition Network. These are women in their 50s, 60s, yeah, even 80s, who have found themselves uh, maybe lost a job or retired or in some way their life is in transition. And they uh, get together with other women and Uh, find friendships and purpose. And actually, I belong to that group as well. I think it's important for people to socialize, especially older people. We've had challenges now, 2020-21, but um, people are learning how to Zoom, and older people are doing that. They're... I think that's great that uh, people will teach them how to use a computer, how to Zoom, and how to keep friendships or make new friendships through uh, their computers. So the networks are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wow, that sounds so cool. Owl, you know, Older Women's League, and then Transition Network. That is really, really cool. So tell us a little bit about, about you know, sort of um, you are not a native San Franciscan, but you, you live here now. Tell us a little bit about, about your earlier life and the arts and film and, um, you know, sort of how you got to this, yeah. this point, um, you know, of, of, of your life. Well, <clears throat> I um, am a Brooklynite or was. 
I was born in Brooklyn, and uh, I went to public college, Hunter College in New York City. And Mm. if you can believe it, okay, that was the 50s. But it was a college where you paid $33 a semester, including books. And we got a great, great education. Well, after it, I wanted to go to L.A. I've never made it there other than just visiting. I stopped in Chicago where I had some relatives and met a wonderful man and got married and had two kids who are now uh, adults, of course, in their 50s. And um, I stayed in Chicago for many, many years. Uh, We eventually divorced. And um, at some point, I thought, I'm in my 50s, I think. I don't want to break anything by walking in ice or snow. I think it's time to have a new adventure. And I had my brother was living in San Francisco, and I moved out here. Once I moved out here, he moved to Hawaii. Uh, I didn't know if I should take that personally or not. But, um, yeah, it's been an adventure, and that's one of my bywords in life. Even Mm -hmm. my stroke, my disability, I feel like, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to put down people who have disabilities, but for me, it was something I never could have imagined, and yet it happened, and I'm dealing with it just like everyone else who has a disability and having a happy life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about something which um, I'm very excited about, and that is this um, program. I love the arts, and mm-hmm. I see that um, there's a Brianna Taylor exhibition at the right. museum called the Speed Museum in Louisville, I think it is. However, Mm -hmm. Louisville, however they say that. And um, filled with her spirit is one of the words about it. So I think the arts in general can move us to places that go beyond what we expected and can not only fill our feelings about beautiful things, but also teach us so many things as well. And with our mission here with the Legacy Film Fest on Aging, we really, our mission is to educate, also to inspire and entertain uh, intergenerational audiences about the issues of aging, because we're all gonna age if we're lucky. And Mm -hmm. here's one way to understand ourselves and others in this process of aging. Mm -hmm. Right. How do how do people get tickets um, for the for the festival, um, which again begins on May 24th and continues through the 31st? And I know you have you know these different um, blocks 
of of films, you know, that people can yes. can can pay for to see, and uh, it's all online. And the ticket prices are per program eight dollars, and all festival passes just if you made it really affordable. I know, I know. Uh, I'm I'm seeing now that people actually like to buy the pass for fifty dollars mm-hmm. yeah. because mm-hmm. they can see everything in eight days, and um, the. This is a good thing about virtual, I guess. Um, I think people should go to Legacy Film Festival on Aging dot org or info at Legacy Film Festival on Aging dot org, and you'll see everything there about how we do it, what is available, and there'll be pictures for each one of these programs that will, mm-hmm. I believe, inspire people to want to see something. Right, yeah. Do you have any, um, uh, well, I, do you have any, uh, are you going to have any director talks and things like that yes. that people could watch? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. Um, that was something that was a little difficult. We um, hired a tech person. And she mm-hmm. said, I think you should have um, some facilitators, interviewers, who will do a Q&A with some of the filmmakers. And we have five, six, seven of those. Those are filmed programs where the interviewer and the filmmaker are on Zoom and mm-hmm. it's being filmed. And they're short interviews, um, maybe 20 minutes at the most, but they're very inspiring to be able to see what was in the filmmaker's mind. Why did they make this film? And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a variety of programs. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I think people will enjoy that. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Wow. Well, congratulations on, you know, your, your 10th anniversary of of the um, Legacy uh, Film Festival on Aging. Um, and, Thank and, you. And, yeah, I look forward to, um, to seeing more of the films because the programming is really phenomenal. And, yeah, look forward oh. to perhaps meeting you when, we, you know, we're back in, oh. you know, in a Looking theater. Forward. <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Uh, I'm in the East Bay. Oh, yeah, great. right outside of Oakland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. We have so I'm not far. Make a date. Yes. Oh, Thank cer- you. Certainly. Oh, My you're pleasure. quite welcome. Yeah, great talking to you. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. Bye. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Ah, we Hi. are. This is, Hi, Hello. good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. I'm fine. So we have in the studio we have Iman Zawahiri uh, and um, and we also have Aziza Fatima, um, the director, writer, producer team, um, joining us to talk about uh, Americanish. 
which we alluded to at the beginning of the program when we were speaking to um, the CAM, uh, CAM Fest uh, 2021 director, uh, Masashi uh, Niwano. So here we are at the end of the program. All ready to talk to you because your film is like phenomenal and it's your first feature. Oh my goodness! Looking forward to more features <laughs> <Thank> to come. <laughs> wow, wow! It's so amazing. Um, oh, the story. Um, I love coming to America. It's like, oh yes. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let me let me read your bios and then we can just start talking. Um, so, and you could also tell our audience, um, you know, what the film is about, you know, how you want to describe it as opposed to my reading the, the note. Um, so Iman, um, Zawari, a director, writer, producer, again, is one of the first, uh, hijabi American, uh, Muslim filmmakers in the nation. And I want to wish you a Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, she has worked on numerous films that have played at over 100 venues worldwide. She has worked as a producer on the feature film Paperback with Moonlight producer, uh, is it um, Adele or Adelie? Adela. Adela, thanks. Uh, Romanski and Sundance alum Adam Bowers. Uh, her short film, Tough Crowd won an Emmy Award and qualified her as a finalist in the NBC comedy Shortcuts to pitch a sitcom with NBC executives. Uh, She is recipient of the coveted Princess Grace Award for her film Undercover and was selected as a Lincoln Center New York Film Festival Artist Academy Fellow in 2015. Um, Iman also collaborated with the nonprofit Islamic Scholarship Fund to create the first ever American Muslim Film Grant, where she currently serves as director. Iman works to amplify the underrepresented, underrepresented, underrepresented female voice. She wrote and directed her debut feature film, which we're speaking about today, Americanish, with a majority female crew. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Iman currently is a professor of film production at the University of Florida. So, again, welcome, Iman. And, uh, oh, you're welcome. Aziza Fatima is Sam. Like, oh, my God, she is, like, in the film. Like, she's in the film and she's a <laughs> producer. Like, how do you do that? Love your character. You are so like. kind. You are so kind. <laughs> I just want to say my name is actually pronounced Isa. <laughs> oh, Isa. Oh, oh yeah. Really? You got it. Why is it spelled I know, like that? It's like the I, you know, it always throws people off. The I, right? It's like they always uh-huh. want to put it after the Z. It's so, I think it's also like the Aziza, like the name is so common. People know it. I get it. I get oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'm putting all, yeah, I'm putting all these letters in there that don't exist. Yeah, because my, my niece's name is Isa, um, but she doesn't spell oh, it like that. We spell it I-S-A, so we can say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. You know, my parents hated me. Why didn't they spell it that way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, because yeah, I've yeah. never seen a spell like this. Thank you. Because it, it is. Oh, that is the way you say it. But I'm like, I'm seeing yeah. the season. <laughs> it's, the way, it's so complicated. People, immigrants, gosh. Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My um, uh, my sister-in-law is uh, uh, Indonesian, so my children are what does my niece call herself? She, um, gosh, I have to look for it, but she's got a really cool um, way of saying 
um, Asian and African American together. It's like really cool the way she does it. I can't remember exactly right now, but anyway, yeah. But my um, my niece whose um, uh, middle name is Isa, um, yeah, she's in um, she's at the university in in St. Paul right now. But um, but yeah, that's how we spell it. So I don't have any trouble saying it. <laughs> um, but anyway, Isa Fatima, yeah, thank you for correcting me. Gosh, I've been saying it wrong all this time. Um, but you're a phenomenal Sam. Um, right? <laughs> the often untold and remarkable stories of immigrants, women, and people of color. She has degrees in microbiology and computer information systems and works at Google and worked at Google before turning in her perks to become a filmmaker. She is the recipient of the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art Grant with Brooklyn Children's Theater and has written the book for the musical, The Ten-Year Test, which is the first children's musical to feature Muslim protagonists in the U.S. Um, Is that available? And how? And where? Yeah, so the play is uh, totally available. Um, the uh, the Brooklyn Children's Theater um, is. Mm-hmm. You, I'm happy to put anybody in touch, but you can also Google them. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just uh, BCT Brooklyn Children's Theater. Um, their email. The play is available for licensing. It has been licensed actually at several mm-hmm. schools. Uh, it's perfect for like middle schoolers. Um, it has a large cast, so it's great for like you know. So anyway, yeah, totally available. Oh, nice, nice. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Um, Her play, The Scholar, was commissioned and published by the Religion and Diversity Project in Canada. Um, She co-produced the horror feature film titled Horror Time, (laughs) which is is executive produced by James Franco. Um, Is it really a horror movie? I mean, like, is it scary? It is really scary. It is really a horror, and it was a very ambitious project to come on. It has 12 writers, 12 directors, 12 producers. Um, wow. Very ambitious, yeah, and like a cast of like 60, I don't even know, a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it was one of these projects. He was doing it in New York, and a bunch of us uh, came on board to them. We'd have these like late-night meetings with James Franco, like like that would last until like 2 a.m. to start at 10 p.m. and go on until 2 a.m. to discuss and break the story. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that's also actually wow. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and your TV pilot, Muslim Girls DTF, uh, Discuss Their Faith, is the winner of the 2020 uh, Roddenberry Impact Award and the winner of the 2020 Yes and Laughter Lab with Comedy Central and Three Arts. Hmm. In 2021, um, graduate uh, with your MFA in film and TV writing at Emerson College. Yeah. Yes, and you have a website, Isa <laughs> Fatima, I, no, A-I-Z-Z-A-H, Fatima, F-A-T-I-M-A dot com. So you can visit her. <laughs> yeah. So um, before um, we tell our audience who is like, who are like anxiously wondering, what is this film uh, American-ish about? Um, how did you all meet each other? Yeah, so it's actually quite interesting. Um, I went to New York City for a birthday trip, and my cousins took me on a food tour. And we were passing by the infamous Cherry Lane Theater, and um, we saw the poster for 
the play Dirty Packing Lingerie. And my cousin's like, oh, my gosh, you man, this is so up your alley. You have to see this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we go in there not knowing what to expect. I've never seen a one-woman play before. And we go in and we see um, this woman transform herself through six different characters with a green scarf. And we laughed, cried, hooted, cackled. And I saw myself and people I know in every single one of those characters. And uh, Isa just played it super beautifully. And so afterwards, I timidly went up to her and was like, hey, do you make shorts? And then I was like, girl, I make features. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> right, right away, we started emailing back and forth. And we just completely hit it off. And we started talking about um, movies that we love, like Bend It Like Beckham, My Big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And we met in September 2012. And then by January 2013, we started writing um, these characters, which were based off three characters in her play. So that's that's kind of how we met. Oh, nice, nice. Um, yeah, I so about- the, the, yeah, sure. The characters, actually, the uh, the three girls, so uh, Sam, who is the older sister, the younger sister, Miriam, Amira, who's just come over to America to find a doctor husband. Um, <laughs> you know, her storyline is very much from the play. It's very, very, very similar. And then, of course, the mom, a version of the mom is, of course, in the play. Um, she kind of plays a matchmaker in the play who's making, like, a series of phone calls to get her daughters married, and they end up, like, getting rejected for various reasons by these other potential suitors' moms. Um, so, you know, so that character, of course, in the film has evolved so much because she's the matriarch of the family. She is kind of, you know, I mean, of course she does. She just she pushes the marriage angle. That's her, like, no. But then she also has a huge emotional arc where she learns about love and acceptance of, like, others and cultures that might be different from her own. So I actually really love that character because it just has such a big um, character arc for me the mom character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So um, is this play, is it, has it been, like, is it, is it now um, available on in film? Your one woman piece? Yeah. You know, the, the play is not available in film. There, of course, have been recordings of it over the year. I've been performing it for 10 years now. Um, okay. This, this summer will be 10 years. I've done it in a lot of places in a lot of countries, abroad, here, throughout America, at various venues. Uh, we actually brought it to Florida, Iman and I did, while we were in the fundraising process for our feature film um, mm-hmm. to get the community support behind it and, and all that stuff. So, um, But it is not available currently. I'm still performing it live in places. And, you know, okay. with this, this, yeah, I've thought about it with all the Zoom theater that's going on these days, which I don't love, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Yes, I thought about a filmed version, but, you know, now we have the feature film coming out, so yay. Yes, yes, you sure do. So what's this film, American-ish, about? Oh, sure, yeah. So the film is just, a, I, I, I would describe it as a coming-of-age slice of life, and it's an ensemble piece with these, you know, Muslim-American women trying to figure out their you know, love, personal relationships, education, and career, really. That's what it is. And I guess it came about because, you know, I think Amanda and I were both pretty tired of the narrative that exists around Muslim women in America, that they're abused or they're battered and that they have no agency because 
frankly, we don't know anybody like that, you know, in our own circles of friends. And, and specifically, like, you know, also I don't want to speak to this too much. Iman can talk about it herself. Iman is a vis- visibly Muslim woman. She covers her hair. And so I feel like that the nuances of that experience are never really portrayed in, in the media in any way. So I, the film came about out of this desire for us to just portray Muslim American female characters as just human, you know, and three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, and to go off that, um, you know, you had mentioned my bio, I'm one of the first hijabi filmmakers, and it was interesting because um, I went to Florida State University Film School, and when I was making my shorts, you know, audiences really widely received them, and I... And I always say this, I don't think it was because they're like the best movies ever. You know, they're light comedies with Muslim women characters, which has not been seen before. They're not, you know, timid, docile, oppressed, you know, beaten, which is the victim narrative that I feel a lot of people love to um, to show even to this day, uh, which is so um, problematic for us. And so it was really important that um, the first feature film that I directed had those characters of what what Isa said that we know that we are agents of our own lives that Muslim women are not a monolith and it's feel good and it's fun because I I love comedies comedy is the best way um, to educate and to create understanding between audiences and so that's kind of what our story is about and what you know we want to portray uh, to audiences and you know easily I always say it's kind of like we say it's like a a mix of uh, Bend It Like Beckham and um, My Big Crack Week Wedding and Love Actually giving you that kind of ensemble feel good type of feeling when you're watching the film. Mm, mhm. Yeah, yeah. Well these this these um, you know, two sisters and their their mom, you know, they're um I don't know, would you say middle class? Um, you know, the mom has a house. Um, you know, one of the sisters is pre med, um, the other sister is works, you know, as a person in a in a corporation. Um doing advertising, I would presume, is her, her position. And, um, you know, Sam is who I'm speaking of. And so just the kind of um, perspective they have is, you know, they are, they're, they're from an immigrant family, but definitely, um, uh, you know, not um, not struggling. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about your characters and, and and the people that they meet, um, and maybe um, I don't know if you created a backstory for the mom, but if so, what is her backstory? Like, what was she doing yeah. before she got married? <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah great before. Yeah, Isa, go ahead and take it because Isa's the main writer. Yeah. These characters are based off what she created. Yeah, for sure. So I I think for us it was. Kind of like, you know, where are the stories of the strong Muslim women? Like, that just don't even exist, right? So so that's kind of where this character of the mom in her own right and Sam and Miriam, like, that's where these characters come in. So Sam is basically the breadwinner of her family, you know, as, like, it, it, this happens very much in the first scene where you learn that the father pretty much abandoned the family when the girls, girls were very young and Miriam was just a baby because these are two sisters with a kind of a big age gap between them, you know, eight to nine years um, apart. So she was just a baby and Sam was just a young girl and the father completely abandoned these three, uh, you know, women, females. And uh, and so they've kind of learned to fend for themselves over the years and they've gotten themselves to a point where things are perhaps 
comfortable, but that's been a lot of hard work. And I think that kind of comes from like, you know, what Iman and I have both grown up with, you know, like we get parents who were just immigrants who moved to uh, this America and then kind of just had to make a life with nothing really started off nowhere and then ended up becoming financially secure. And we did become those kind of like middle-class success families, like where our parents were able to put us through college and, you know, pay for an education. And they really pushed that education angle on us. Um, so for me, like that's sort of where, you know, where those characters come in. And I think it's a very, it's a very, the film takes place in Jackson Heights and it's a very common story there. You see a lot of people, like a lot of, you know, Indian, South Asian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, a lot of the, it's like, they say there's 167 languages spoken in Jackson Heights, so it kind of goes beyond just South Asian. There's a lot of other kind of uh, languages and ethnicities and people that exist there as well. But, you know, you see that for a lot of these people, it's this idea of the American dream. You know, mm-hmm. like you come from nothing, you come from nowhere, and then you can, if this is a country, you can like get your kids an education and they can become something, you know, which is what has happened. The mother didn't come from a lot of means or anything really in a broken marriage and a relationship and no, no job and no really means to provide for herself, but the girls are doing it. The daughters were able to get an education and do something with it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll kick it back mm-hmm. to Matt if she wants to add anything to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, also the mother character, you know, Isa and I, you know, we, we wrote this for four years. I mean, this was uh, a hard labor of love. Um, and I always tell, like, when I'm teaching my students, you know, don't do ensemble pieces as your first feature <laughs> because they are really <laughs> challenging. Um, but the mother character really um, is about my mom, too. Like, I, my mom is a single woman, and, you know, the ending's scene where she's talking to Gabriel about marrying for love you know that 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 was inspired by my mom and I remember Isa and I having conversations about what that dialogue should be and I really wanted to be authentic to um you know my mother's experience so I see her so much in um my mom and Lillette is such a queen we call her Mama D she's like Bollywood legend and she's she really took the character and you know gave it heights that we never thought um could be taken to screen so it comedically and dramatically which I thought was really awesome as well so so yeah and then um the other characters you know the the second character Miriam um I always say like you know when we're writing we're writing a little bit of ourselves and that was totally me and um in undergrad being that fervent kind of clumsy uh uh college student um and, you know, kind of putting that character into her as well was really important. And then Sam, of course, is, you know, what we are today as Muslim women, really striving hard to to be strong in our career and strong for our families. And um, Sam really carries that story as being the one strength for her and the relationship that she takes care of her mom and her sister. And it's, it's, it's so um, impactful, inspiring, because it's relatable to so many. And then we always mm-hmm. have that fun cousin overseas so <laughs> these are these are kind of like naive comedic relief mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then and then your uh, Amira character um you know she she's really great um just you know sort of like like almost like a newborn the way she comes into um <laughs> yeah. you know this country and everything is wonderful um and but then you know the way she sort of doesn't let go of herself when she comes in because she's an adult. Um, I think she's 29 and getting ready to be 30 or 30. So right. so she's an adult. And, and so, you know, when they go in the store and they negotiate the price, <laughs> that's great. 
<laughs> yes. I mean, and, and that's so based off of uh, a true character. Like when, when our family comes from overseas, they're very like kind of naive to the world and naive to what's going on, but still really strong in what they independent in what they want. And I think mm-hmm. that um, the character of Amira plays that really well. And, you know, brings that lightness to the story as well. And Shanaz really brought that character to life, and especially with this bubbly kind of um, aspect to her character. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And then Godfrey as Gabriel, uh, I'm glad you you also bring in um, the Muslim diaspora into the story because, you know, people think Muslims look one way. And right. and they are from one place, and when, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, people of African descent are were the first Muslims in America that people could recognize as Muslim. Um, Thank you for saying that. that. Yes, yes. Somehow the world those, does I'm not know this. <laughs> you know, there's this statistic I read somewhere where it said something like one third of the original people who came over from Africa as slaves were Muslim. I don't know if that's an mm-hmm. accurate statistic, but it's that out is there. True. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure it's true because look at the places they came from. They're heavily Muslim populated places, you know. So, yeah, I, I believe it. And I think for, for me and Amanda, it was like such a long conversation between the casting of, like we always knew um, that the um, character of Shahid was going to be a, a brown South Asian Muslim man that was always that was a given that's what it was going to be but then the other two the character of Zayn and Gabriel both we kind of we were like okay well not everybody's in this is going to be brown because Muslims aren't just one ethnicity we were like who could it be Hispanic like Asian Arab black like mm-hmm. how do we you know and um yeah we were so lucky to have Godfrey Godfrey just you know, we um, he we didn't know him personally at the time. He's uh, he's you know become a, just an amazing person to know and hang out with and friend, be friends with now. Um, after all these years of knowing him, since you know we've been working on the film, but um, he came in for the audition and he just blew us away because you know he he auditioned with something that was funny but also dramatic and he just did it. He nailed all of it. And I feel like for me, it's not a role I've ever seen Godfrey play before. So I'm really excited for the world to see him in this light. And also it's just, I think it's just as a, just as a, as a creative person, it's just really exciting for me personally to see a, a black man fall in love and be in the middle of a romance and, you know, and, and just be three-dimensional again. I feel like this is something we don't see a lot of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to right. further clarify, Gabriel was always a, a black Muslim character. Zane, we were like, maybe he could be something else, which ended up being played by Mo Amr, um, a Palestinian um, actor. But it was very important to me um, and to us to portray the black Muslim role. And then also the racism that lies within the um, the community uh, because it's mm-hmm. so problematic. And that's not something that we wanted to shy away from, but we wanted to address and to also, you know, talk about the problems with it and how wrong it is. And so that's what really attracted Godfrey to the character as well. Um, and to, like I mentioned, uh, to- he totally blew us away. And he's like fantastic on set because he kept everybody light and hilarious and then all- would just zone in when I call action. It was really, it was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then continuing the theme um, of um, bigotry, you know, we look at uh, what happened with uh, Zane and Sam and uh, – <laughs> Maybe you could talk about about um, Muhammad uh, Amir's um, 
role, and yeah, he was great. That I love the um, the subway scene <laughs> with the tablet. Yeah, <laughs> <That's cute. laughs> that is such Vinny a is that not. would only happen in New York. I feel like that can never. I know it's so funny. So that's like um, actually that's funny. That's something that's taken slightly. It's from the play. It's uh, there's a character that the uh, the Sam character in the play meets at an airport. So originally we had written that scene for the airport, and then when it came time close to shooting, we had to be realistic. We're like, okay, we're not going to rent out an airport. <laughs> what what mm-hmm. can we easily get? It's New York City. So we had to kind of reimagine that subway scene. And, yes, and Mo is so great and so charming and just perfect in that role. I can't imagine anyone else playing that character. You know, Mo did such a great job. Um, but yeah, and and it was just really, again, it was just satisfying to have an Arab Palestinian American, you know, be portrayed in this way, because again, I have never seen that. When do these people get to be heroes of their own stories? Like, I don't see it, you know, it doesn't happen that frequently. So it's been, yeah, it's been really, really great working with all these wonderful, talented actors to bring this to life. Yeah. Can 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 we mention um you know what Zane uh, Mo's Zane uh you know what his character is in the film? I know, which was also a big struggle for us. <laughs> we yeah. can mention it. Also, it's supposed to be a bit of a surprise, but you know, I I will say without mentioning it, I will say this that 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 kind of influence, like for me, is based on like a very close friend of mine who's um, actually family is Palestinian. Uh, they're half Palestinian, mm. half Lebanese. They're American, grew up in Boston. And uh, my friend's uh, younger brother decided to join the U.S. Marines. Mm. And it was a big point. And then, you know, the U.S. Marines over the last decade or two have been in the, there was a desert storm, and then there's the Afghanistan war, and there's the, all these wars sort of in the Middle East, right, within Muslim countries that are happening where America is going and basically bombing bombing these countries and Mm. so it became a big point of contention within the family you know because you have a older generation of parents who still feel very connected to their palestinian arab roots and then you have the younger generation who are connected but they're also very much american they're born and raised here and you know this guy who wanted to go serve in the military anyway for me it just I felt like some of these stories, these nuances, again, are kind of missing, you know. We're all about, yes, the, you know, defund the police. Yes, it's terrible what's happening in America. Cops are not making a good name for themselves in any way, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm like, what does it look like when there's a Muslim cop? What does it, because I know them. I know several, actually, in New York. And, you know, mm-hmm. what? What? Do, how do you do that? How do you reconcile those two things? And what is... You know, it's also a human experience, and why? Why? Anyway, it's like a, such a long conversation that we can. I don't know if we want to take that on right now, but that's all I'll say about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There, there are a lot of um, you know, you have a lot of themes running through this this lighthearted um, work um, that we don't get stuck in, but we definitely notice, like around you know, at Sam's job, you know, she is the only woman in the position that she's in and she's at the table with all of these guys and mm. um and 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 so she's kind of um like she she really does a lot of uh what do you call it um uh she adjusts her um herself you know for the position because she wants to move up in the company and and, and you know and so all of the things that we see you know that happen you know around uh, people taking a person's 
creative ideas and then, you know, re uh, re right uh, passing them on, re, you know, yeah, yeah act, acting as if that that was their idea, you know, these right. other people. And in her case, I think they're all white men. <laughs> yep, um, right. You know, that sitting around the table with her is like okay, hmm. And then and then she's got her cheerleader who is a little gets a little. You know, she likes her alcohol a little bit too much. Um, but anyway, you know, she does She does have a girl, you know, who can help her, and I think she might be also her secretary, but I'm not sure. So we've got we've got the sexism, you know, sort of clobbering Sam at work. Um, and, then, and then we have all these values that are running through, you know, sort of um, because, you know, her mother, their mother did a really good job in making sure that her girls, her daughters, were really strong in themselves. Even if they even if they did grew up not agreeing with her, they were hecka strong in that. <laughs> um, yeah, which, which is yeah. really good to see. Yeah, yeah. And um so anyway, um uh and and wow, then because they could Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, you know, these things are so important to Aizen and I when we're writing it. And um, Yeah, I can't believe I'm, you're getting all of this. Wow. No, I'm so happy that it's <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, like, such a, that's such a tertiary thing in the background. I feel like the thing you just said about, like, the girls are so strong, I feel like that's something also, like, a man and I relate to. You know, we talk about this a lot, like, our moms, for lack of everything, like, you know, they were immigrants, like, couldn't really work here and all this stuff, for lack of education from back home or whatever it was, they made sure, like, their daughters were none of those things. Like, our mom, right. I give them so much credit, you know? They made sure, they were, like, education first. Like, my mom, for sure, was, like, never marriage. Like, first get married. First, you know, yeah. get, and my dad, too, like, this is a bigger feminist than my mom. He's like, go get your PhD. Don't worry about marriage, you know? I'll pay yeah. for mm-hmm. it. So it's mm-hmm. also important to us that that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also, yeah. you know, we really built her her work environment, like you were saying, like the sexism and how things we had a long conversation about this, about um, I was like, we really need to write about how they get the we, I think we were either we were at a conference with Muslim women and they were telling us about the story. And we're like, we're putting this in the movie. And that's what, what's happened mm. in terms of like mm-hmm. they're taking the ideas and like this stuff all happens all the time. And it happened to you at Google, too. Isaac. So like it's. um it was, it's just, it's so great that you, you are seeing all these themes and um, especially as a woman of color, it means so much that you said that. So thank you. Oh yeah. It's, it's because we see it, <laughs> we see it in a lot. Of, and then, you know, when it comes down, you know, to, um, uh, to Miriam, you know, Selena's um, character, oh my goodness, with this guy who is just like so wonderful, wonderful, like, you know, Shahid, um, <laughs> he's so dreamy and then, too. It's so easy to fall for him because he's so handsome, and you're like, "Oh my God, he's amazing!" <laughs> yeah, and he's charming. And and then and then after, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give it away, but you know, one thinks there was a reason for what happened to him. You know, like that the there might be yeah. a bad story. Yeah, she I, might have exactly, found yeah, out I, something. <laughs> I, <laughs> he got I what he deserved. It's so interesting, you know, like when uh, so when Kapil was filming this with us, the char- the actor who plays Shahid, he was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, this character, it's like so much like a really good friend of mine. He was like, this just happened mm-hmm. to a friend, you know. They just mm-hmm. finished college and got their first jobs, and they're now trying to figure out, like, how to make the relationship work. You know, and I think sometimes, I, I don't know what it is, but, like, I don't know, the best of intentions, right? There's always this struggle. Like even, I see this even with adults, like with even with adult couples. Like if there's a marriage and both people are really into their careers and then you start thinking about having a family, 
it's almost always like one person kind of has to take the back seat. I, why Why mm-hmm. is that? I, I don't really have an answer. But I see this mm-hmm. happening in our society across cultures. I'm not even talking about Muslims right now. I'm talking about everybody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Why is it yeah. like the woman ends up taking oftentimes not, I mean, look, I do, I know at least like two stay-at-home dads. Like I do know, like I live in New York, so it's a very liberal kind of place. So it's easy to find these people, but. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you see like the woman taking the back seat, you know, she right. does part-time work or, you know, she, she does what she stops traveling for her job, you know, because somebody has to, right. Somebody has to be there to mm-hmm. create the family and move it forward. But like, why does that happen? And why does the burden of the stuff almost always fall on the woman? And how do we, I don't know, it's, I guess for us, it's just like, let's just bring this to light and then create a conversation around it. So maybe we can find some answers. I would never yeah. say this, Phil. I don't know. I don't know if I have any answers for people. <laughs> I don't know if the film has answers, you know, but I think well, we have questions for sure. Yeah. Well, there's patriarchy. I mean, you know, it's like, let's name There's it. patriarchy uh, and it's everywhere. And it's not a Muslim issue. It is a human issue, right? It's a world it is, issue. No, it's, it's a Western culture issue, which has now become a global issue because we've exported it. You know, these societies <laughs> that were at one time matrilineal are now patrilineal in, in attitude and in practice. You know, because it wasn't right. always like, you know, patriarchy was not the global, you know, ideology for relationships right. between uh, different different genders, uh, different sexes, but now it's like, you know, it's so exported. And then I think, well, I think you know, it's, it was jealousy as well um, because, you know, um, you know, the fiance, he was he didn't get in. He was he was sad. Yeah, he was on board <laughs> until she wasn't as smart as him. He wanted someone smart, but not smarter than him. You know, he wanted right. someone who could earn, but not more than him. Like, that is right. also a thing, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the thing you said about patriarchy, you know, it's so great because, like, we look at look at us as America, man. We still have yet to get a female president elected. And we know the complete, you know, garbage show it was when a female did run for presidency and what happened to her. Oh, yeah. And she was mm. slandered completely, right? And then you look at countries like anywhere in the Middle East, you look at, uh, or like, forget it, like even South Asia, right? It's like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, all these countries have had female presidents. And these are like third world countries and like they're so terrible to women there, quote unquote, right? Yet those countries are able to elect female presidents. Why can't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is a whole different mindset. Uh, wow, could you imagine? What would that look like if America had right. a woman as a chief executive officer? Like, hmm. Well, the commander in chief. I mean, I have hope. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wonder what what Vice President Harris is. What is you know like. Is she going to be able to do anything like that? We could say this is what she did. This was her legacy while she was in office. We did something tangible. I know. It's like what is ever what what tangible thing does a VP ever do? I I don't really know. (laughs) You know, I don't have an answer for that. So what can she really do? But Mm. but Mm -hmm. you know, I think again, I think art and film. These are places where we can show people another way of being. You know, we can Mm -hmm. shine a little light on some of these issues that women are dealing with every day all over the world. And, and this is what it looks like, you know, and it doesn't look that different mm-hmm. for women, you know, so our film might be about American Muslim women, but I don't think it looks that different for women everywhere really who are not mm-hmm. Muslim. 
you know, or American. Right, yeah, yeah. And I just think about, you know, sort of the parody, um, the caricature, uh, you know, the George um, Wentz, um, Douglas Smart. Trump. And then we've got, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and then we have the, oh, I can't rock the boat, you know, um, you know, chief executive, um, you know, David's Jim. How do you pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce right. David's last name, the actor. Yeah, how do you David say his Rashi. Last name? Yes, Rashi. Rashi. He's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. thought he was going to fire the client. I mean, that would have been a different movie. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been yeah. a different movie? But what, would that ever really happen? It's always about no. the bottom line, right? That would have been another way, sure. You know, that's an interesting, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have a lot going on in this film. How long is this film? Is it ninety minutes or something? Um, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. We did we did address yeah. a lot of things, and I think that's why it took so long for us to get it out. But um, you know, I'm we're really happy with the the product, and just so happy that mm-hmm. it's come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, uh, it's it's really well done. I, I like the music. The cast is awesome. You know, the the cinematography is like, oh, my goodness, it's off the chart. It's such a beautiful work. Costuming. Uh, done by um, a woman. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so talk talk about, you know, the, um, you know, sort of the technical aspects of, of making this thing so beautiful. And uh, and then if you want to mention any of the other members of the cast, like, you know, AJ, you know, as Jawad, you know, he was a jerk. Um <laughs> Sorry. Um, You're so funny. You just mumble that in there. You're like, it was a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Well, he plays such a beautiful jerk. He's just such a, and he's nothing like that in real life. He's such a kind, gentle guy. I just remember every time, you know, we were shooting some difficult scenes that actually with Ajay, that didn't make it into the film because changing things up and, and they were, they, and it was really jerky. And he, he every time, and it's, one of the scenes was with me and every time he was like, okay, are you okay? Are you okay? Is that okay? Is this okay? So just kind and generous as an actor and so wonderful to work with. Everybody loved him on set. You know, we're so lucky to have him. Um, so, yeah, so Ajay um, and then, I mean, there's so many um, just, you know, people that came together and we were talking about the cinematography that's so beautiful. That's all Chloe Weaver's magic. And, I mean, Honestly, yeah, so, man, I, you can say more, but I feel like this film wouldn't have happened without some behind-the-scenes women, such as our executive producer, who was really there for us in so many ways and just made the film happen. And, you know, Chloe Weaver, who just also uh, was just amazing in every day, uh, a spot of sunshine and just came in and was like, all right, guys, let's do this. And we had difficult days, guys. Independent filmmaking is not easy. You know, we were shooting, was it six days on, one day off, man? Yeah. It's yeah, hard, and, you know, it's hard on the casting crew. For sure. And especially the crew. Yeah. Specifically when we were building our team, um, it was very important for me to have a female DP. And that was something that had to be sought for, right? Because it's like one in every hundred, really. And um, one of my film school friends, she connected me with Chloe. And Chloe is such a fantastic cinematographer. She's actually a cinematographer for Chef's Table, um, on Netflix and many other things. And like I just said, the only reason why production went through was because of Chloe and Anne. <laughs> like they were like, all right, man, let's, there's, there's, there's things are falling all around us, but we're right here, you man. It's me and you, we're making this movie. I'm like, let's go, Chloe. <laughs> you know, she just really <laughs> made it happen. And every mm-hmm. single day, because so much was going uh, wrong. Like, I mean, if anybody knows about filmmaking, it's fires every single day. Um, uh, one of my students said, every, every feature is a miracle, which is such a great, 
point. It's so true, especially in independent filmmaking. So, mm-hmm. you know, Chloe is incredibly important as Anne um, Chaudhry, who's our executive producer. And then moreover in post-production, which we've done for three years with Jesse Rojas, who is um, mm-hmm. a Venezuelan-American uh, editor. And she stayed on this film just like me as a director to where she never wavered like three years I'm like okay Jesse we're gonna do this again okay Jesse we're gonna do this again and she was just right there with me the entire time and and I feel like no one we had we went like it always went back to Jesse we had other um, editors come come through but I always felt at the end um, a female vision in terms of editing was incredibly important and she really brought that through as well and our custom designer Annie Simon also a female um, our production designer Kate Kate um, Murphy, like these, and Kaylee Bison as well. It, these were, you know, all of the department heads for us, and it was so important to have that, you know, female camaraderie telling this really strong story to to make it as authentic as possible. Yeah, very nice. And and I noticed that um, for um, your um, uh, the people that see Chloe, Chloe's in um, is a, a Cal, uh, California native, and she's here in California. And uh, and Jesse uh, Rojas is also in Southern California, um, Southern California-based, L.A.-based editor. And um, mm-hmm. so it's nice, you know, it's kind of like bi-coastal. Um, yeah. you got folks here that are Californian, so that's n- that's another, that's a nice connection considering, you know, the film is having its world premiere in California at Fort Mason, not Fort Mason Center, but um, let's see, where is Cam gonna be well. It's screening. actually so we are. It's virtually for closing night at Cam, but we're also oh. having an in-person screening as well at Fort Mason through Islamic oh. Scholarship sponsoring it. So we are getting oh. both of best worlds. I'm so excited about um, to be able to have both of those happening. Mm. Oh, that's awesome! So tell us about um, the in-person one. Where at Fort Mason Center? When is that? So that's May 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, okay. And you can purchase tickets at um, islamicscholarshipfund.org, sponsoring this um, drive-in theater screening for, for us. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it, tickets are $30 um, per car, which I think is pretty good. Um, so, yeah, and we're going to have a Q&A afterwards, um, you know, mm-hmm. with me, Isa, the producers, um, Jesse. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing that, too. From from 5:30 uh-huh. to. 7. Oh, how fun! How fun! Okay, super. Islamic Scholarship Fund, great. And and what is Islamic Scholarship Fund? Yeah, so Islamic Scholarship Fund is a non for profit organization that funds um, students that are in the Muslim students that are in the arts, and so you know journalists, film, uh, lawyers, anything in humanities, because. Uh, as I'm sure everybody sees, like Muslims are always in the sciences area. So this organization started about um, since 2009 uh, doing that. And so I was their first film grant recipient when I was in film school. And so they had asked mm. me, man, how can we support filmmakers? And so it's like, we need to create a film grant. So we created the first American Muslim film grant. And so we've been in it for eight years now with the film, um, the film grant program. And I was actually one of the um, recipients for Muslim um, girls discuss their faith. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of what Islamic Scholarship Fund is. It's, it's pretty, like, you know, premier in, in supporting filmmakers and artists. Oh, wow. That is so awesome. That is really wonderful. Okay, so people mm-hmm. just go to the website, um, Islamic Scholarship Fund, um, and to find out about the screening and, and about the, the program. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, awesome, sir. awesome. Great, great. Well, congratulations again. This is a really wonderful film. And why don't you give the uh, the website for your film, and um, and I will look for the website for Cam. Uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> just a second. Uh, camfest.or.com, C-A-A-M-F-E-S-T.com, forward slash 2021 for tickets and all the information. And, uh, yeah, if you could um, give your website for the film. And is it going to be available um, after the um, um, after the screening at CAM? Uh, is it going to be on some platform or, or another that people can, can watch it again and purchase it when it's available? Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, that's the goal. We're going to go take the festival rounds for this year and hopefully eventually mm-hmm. distribution. And so we will let you know when it's available. And our website okay. is... Yeah, our website is americanishfilm.com, um, and it's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-I-C-H-F-I-L-M.com. And you can all, <laughs> always uh, contact us, the same name on social media, Americanish Film, and with our names as well on social media, too. All righty. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Uh, so fun. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to... Um, I don't know. Let's see. Maybe I might be able to come to the drive-in. I love drive-in. Oh, did they have Yes. Oh, that yes. would be awesome. Come. Yes. <laughs> we can meet you in person. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, let me let me get my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Cool. Cool. Well, congratulations, and I, I hope there are a lot more stories like this between the two of you, because this one here is awesome. Awesome. And and I'm so looking forward to um, the CAM um, uh, screening as well as to the dance party afterwards, uh, the virtual yes. dance party. That should be fun. I do, yes. too. And that's all on closing night on May 23rd. And uh, the CAM virtual screening starts at 5 p.m. So you can get yep. your tickets for that as well. Yes. Right. <laughs> all righty. Um, any closing thoughts about anything that we didn't get a chance to um, to talk about? I uh, just want to thank you, know, thank you, Wanda, for, for taking the time out and recognizing the film and its its importance to audiences. And I can't wait for audiences to watch this film and hopefully connect with it from all different backgrounds and groups through comedy to kind of unite us all together. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and I want to wish uh, you all um, uh, in advance, um, wish your mothers um Happy Mother's Day because obviously, you know, we, we've been talking about them, that they are simply phenomenal to, to have, you know, facilitated a space, your dad's too, um, but it's Mother's Day coming up. Uh, so we're going to stick with Mother's Day so that you Thank could be, you, you know, independent you. thinkers and free thinkers and, you know, the kind of women that you are. So well, the other women look at you as examples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you all take good care, and I'll see you in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all right. Perfect. Or or in real life at the drive-in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so true. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Let me work on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. So we are, that was really fun, and I did find the information about the national bailout. Um, the, uh, let's see, about in the street, black codes, contact. Uh, I'm looking to see um, 
if they have a calendar. Um, but um, it says help us bail out more people than ever before by giving to uh, hashtag free black mamas in time for Mother's Day. So um, you can go to the website nationalbailout.org forward slash um, in the streets and um, and you can on this website you can donate to National Bailout. So this is a really good um, location to um, to to visit. And there also um, there are some uh, uh, there's a song Southerners on New Ground, and they have uh, Durham episodes. They have one, two, and three. I haven't watched any of them, but it looks interesting. So anyway. Um, yeah, so you can go to nationalbailout.org and you can donate to National Bailout, which will help um, fund um, getting some of these incarcerated mamas out of prison so that they can be home with their children. And uh, and the amounts, you know, um, are whatever you can afford, twenty-five to a thousand, or anything else in between. You you set you set the other uh, price, and um, yeah, and it's really wonderful. Mothers should not be incarcerated. Um, black mothers, in particular, should not be incarcerated. Alrighty, so um, with that, I want to thank you all so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. It's been really lovely and. I don't know what song I'm going to play. I should have had this together, but I don't. <laughs> so let's see. What am I going to play? <clears throat> I don't know. Ah, Oh, I like Gina Breedlove. Um, let's see. Um, um, I just missed Gina. Gina Breedlove. Um, oh, hmm. I should have some kind of go-to. <laughs> but I don't. Oh, Kim Nally. Hmm. Just missed that one, too. Oh, well. Um, I'm not going to play. Am I going to play anything? Uh, I guess I'll play Cash Killian's Africa Calling. That's nice. Um, oh, that's too long. I'm not going to play that. So, anyway, um, uh, we'll catch you on the, on the on the next next go round. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day. Peace and blessings. <laughs>